Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Author and illustrator Carly Valentine says about her new book, The Fun Thieves. As a mother to a child with numerous medical issues, I've found the importance of teaching perseverance and positive thinking to help in handling difficult situations. For years, my son felt very frustrated and angry about the major trials he had to go through. COVID was one more fun thief for him to figure out. My son was finally healthy enough to be more social and have fun with friends and all the new restrictions and worries the pandemic brought about really affected his mental state. While working with my son to help him handle his feelings and emotions during these frustrating times, I decided to create a book for children to help them regain control and realize that they can change their attitudes and find the good even in the most difficult of situations. And the book is The Fun Thieves. It's out now, available on Amazon. Carly Valentine is author of uh, several other books, including Extra Special Heart, Cutest Pumpkin in the Patch, Turkey Trot, Christmas is a Feeling, Big Plans for Tomorrow, Bad Habit Rabbit, many more in the works, she says. Carly Valentine, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Uh, So you live in Ogden, I think, right? I do. I, I live out in North Ogden. North Ogden. Uh, I think grew up yeah. in the, that area too, Ogden area. Yes, yep. I grew up in South Ogden, so I didn't move a whole didn't, lot. Didn't move a whole lot. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> no, uh, before we get into the book and, and uh, your uh, your son, your kids, I want to talk a little bit about you. I understand you've uh, always been a big reader, um, but trips to the library were special. Yes, for sure. I grew up, I was lucky to have a mom that read with me and my brother every night, and we always looked forward to reading with my mom. It was a really special time of the day. And my mom is a teacher. Well, she's a speech therapist with Ogden City Schools, and she worked quite often during the school year, um, but we were lucky to have her complete attention for the summer. And a lot of times she took us to the library, and that was one of my favorite trips getting to pick out whatever books we want with her. So it kind of harvested a love for reading from a young age for me. Do you remember some of those books that that you read? Uh, oh, yes. I have a ton. I, some of my favorites, I loved Cats for Sale. That was one of my favorites. I liked a lot by Shel Silverstein. I, I really like um, to read and write poetry and stories in verse, and I... I remember a silly poem I made up even as a little kid after reading some of those books, but I had so many favorites. Um, as I grew up into chapter books, my favorite author was, I would say, Roald Dahl. I loved all mm-hmm. of his different chapter books. That was that was probably my very favorite author growing up, I would say. Do you remember uh, what, your, what your mom would read to you guys? She read all sorts of stuff. We um, took turns reading different books. Like, I remember she read Indian in the Cupboard. She read different new Roald Dahl books to get me started. When I was growing up, Goosebumps was really big, so we read some Goosebumps books. Um, and those were probably more of my brother's choice, but I enjoy okay. them, too, secretly. So um, <laughs> I yeah. can't complain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, that's important, isn't it, to reading to your kids? Yes. Really, really For helps sure. them develop, Yeah. Um, so I want to jump uh, ahead a little bit to, uh, to high school. I was reading a blog post, really uh, affecting yeah. you. You open up here, it's titled Superficial Glance, um, and you said, uh, I'll just read uh, just part of this. It's strange sometimes how certain memories come rushing back that have lived dormant for years. 
and uh, you go on to tell an, an experience, kind of a kind of a, a bad experience. <laughs> it turned out to be good. You turned it good. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you'd tell me a, about this. Your your teacher, you're taking an advanced English class, right? Yeah, I was I was in an AP English class, and um, you know i I don't necessarily consider myself a extremely intelligent person necessarily, but I'm, I do pride myself on being very hardworking and I don't really let anything stop me and get in my way. And I really love to read. So I was excited to take an advanced placement English class. And, um, once I got in the class, I, well, we had to read a book over the summer and then be ready to talk about it right when the class started in high school. And, um, I, I guess I appeared to have some difficulties with that first assignment because I had a teacher that was teaching the advanced English lesson. He know I remember exactly as it happened. It's kind of interesting how you get these photograph memories of things like that in your head, but it really stuck with me and I kind of tucked it away for years, but I remember him leaning down to me and just telling me, you know, Advanced placement English classes aren't for everybody. Like, you still can back out. It's not too late, and you shouldn't feel ashamed if you need to do that. And it's okay if this isn't this isn't the class for you. And I was just kind of taken aback because I was excited and was looking forward to the class, and I felt like he was really telling me, I don't think you're going to do good in this class, so you should get out of it now while, you're still, while you still can kind of thing. But I tried not to let it get to me, even though it really bothered me, and I was very embarrassed just because it was done in front of my peers. And whenever you have a teacher walk over to you and kind of lean down and whisper in a tone, everybody in the whole room kind of quiets down to hear what's going on, you know. So um, I, instead of letting it get to me, I stayed in the class, and I completed the class, and I passed and got an AP credit. So I persevered through that. And I kind of was able to say, prove you're wrong. I proved him wrong. But even after that, still, I remember on the last day of school, um, the same teacher came and knelt beside my desk again. And he said, so what are your plans? I would love to hear what you're planning on doing now that you're graduating high school. And I, for years, was actually a hairstylist and a master esthetician. And that was my plan. I was going to go to hair school and master aesthetics school and get my degrees in those. And when I told him this, he just said, that's wonderful. You know, college isn't for everybody. And I think it's great that you kind of see that that might not be the best fit for you. And I was just very embarrassed and frustrated instead of being excited about kind of what was to come. And years from now, with my son, with all his different various medical conditions, we have found that he has been, well, he's been diagnosed with ADHD, and it does run in my family. And through his diagnosis, I have realized that I also have ADHD. And I think that's where a lot of the difficulties in learning and um, just executive function skills and memorizing and remembering exact details from books made things more of a struggle for me. I have now now I'm now I'm figured out that I have some of the same problems and difficulties that my son has. So it kind of makes a lot of sense to me. And 
through all of this journey, I've really become a disability advocate for kids and for my son and for myself as well, because I think it's very important. And I think we all have strengths. Both me and my son are very creative. And we also have really good, hardworking, perseverance skills that not everybody has. And I think it's such an important thing to be able to recognize that everybody's different and we all have various strengths. And I really wish that instead of that whole situation being turned kind of, I mean, I felt like my teacher should have been more of an advocate for me and kind of somebody that was helping me along the way instead of trying to get me out of the class because he didn't think I was a good fit for it. I think that would have been so much more beneficial to me and to my self-esteem, but I was also very proud of myself, and I'm glad that I have that story to tell to be able to share with my son that, that not everybody will always believe in you or see your dreams, but you should never let that get in your way, and you should power through it, and if you really want something bad enough, I think people should go out and get it. So that's kind of my story yeah, with that whole blog. That, yeah, that's that, that's a that's, that is a great story. Unfortunate that you have it, but but uh, some good things came of it, right? Uh, and, it, and it illustrates for, for sure illustrates some traits that you had to develop be, because of it, right? In fact, you uh, exactly. want to maybe expand on that. You you say that uh, you always got good grades, but it had nothing to do with intelligence. Uh, diligence and perseverance were what uh, what got you through, and those are. Uh, those are very needed skills, right? Yes, definitely. I agree. Um, so, so what do you think things of, uh, I don't know how representative this teacher was, you know, maybe more representative then than now. I, I don't know how, how, you know, school system would handle something like that, that now. Do you think things have improved? I would hope that they've improved. I mean, I think that you're always going to run into somebody that doesn't believe in you or, you know, that kind of makes you feel like you're less than everybody else, unfortunately. And it might not be the teacher that's doing it. It might be another kid. It might it might be a parent. I mean, there's a lot of different types of people out there. And some some people do it not even meaning to be so negative. But I think the most important thing to be taken from all of it is that you really have to believe in yourself and don't let anybody make you feel like you're not good enough for something or like you can achieve what you really want to. Mm-hmm. I just want to read this uh, paragraph from your blog post. By the way, this is, you can find this at carlyvalentine.com. Uh, you say you persisted on after that second conversation, right? Where the teacher uh, said, Hey, good for you. You're, you're going to do hairstyling and college isn't for everybody. You say you persisted on, decided not to let his demeaning conversation quash one of my dreams. You say you love doing hair, continue doing hair and aesthetics, but eventually you ended up getting your bachelor's degree in business administration. Tell me a bit about that, how how that happened. You you did have this dream to do hair. That's what you wanted to do. Uh, had you considered college? Yes, I, I always had that on my back burner. I just really wanted to start out doing hair and aesthetics, and I thought maybe after I start making money with that, I can pay my way through college, and that's pretty much what I did. I got a, I got a good clientele built up. I really, really enjoyed doing hair. I love the creative um, freedom that you have to be able to help people and make them feel good about themselves. 
And so I love doing hair, but I, I just thought maybe I would like to go back to school and get a degree in business administration so I could use it with whatever I decided with my business in the future. So I did that. And it was it's kind of funny because I got my degree at the most probably co- most complicated time in my life where my son was actually diagnosed with a heart defect. And um, and that was around the age of when he was 18 months. So I managed to finish getting my bachelor's degree, going through all those emotional times of my son's um, heart defect diagnosis and powered through and got my degree. So again, it was, I just really am a hard worker. I have, I'm very, I persevere through a lot of different things. And that's something I'm really proud about myself is just the fact that I'm not going to let something stop me. Once I, once I start something, I'm going to finish it and do it no matter what anybody else says. So I did continue to get my degree and it's something I, I feel like made me very proud. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful accomplishment. Uh, how, how was that? How was college? Was it just uh, the, you know, those skills, I guess, diligence, perseverance? Because probably stood you in good stead. Hard worker, right? How, how was that? Was it was it hard? Yes. Um, well, I always know right away I, I have a harder time with math. That's just one of the things that I struggle with the most. And so right away, whenever I start into math, I go right into the counselor's office, I guess, depending on what you would call it, where you're going. But I always get a tutor right from the start so that I don't allow myself to get behind and get too confused to be able to kind of move ahead. And that's another thing I I try to teach my son is that I don't ever want him to feel ashamed if he needs that extra help. It's such a positive thing to be able to acknowledge that you need help in an area so that you can accept the help and get and improve. And that's the improvements to me, the very most important thing to gain when you, when you have a hard difficulty with something like that. Hmm. Uh, So uh, we'll go to a break here soon, but before we go to break, um, this struck me. You said one evening you were reading your toddler bedtime story and you decided I'm going to write a children's book. That's quite the decision. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I had kind of written a lot in my head. I've and I wrote some of it down. I, but this specific evening, I I I always rock my kids to sleep and read to them, and then I cuddle them for a bit before I put them to bed. And we were sitting there reading, and um, after our book was finished, my son, he he was always he was he's very creative. This is my youngest son, Lachlan, and he every night would say, what are we going to do tomorrow to kind of stall and keep me in there as long as he can? And he'd come up with all sorts of crazy, crazy ideas of what he wanted to do. Like he, and so that was actually one of my, one of my books I've published was based on this whole experience. It's called Big Plans for Tomorrow. And it's all about a little boy going to bed. He doesn't really want to go to bed, but then he goes to bed and talks to his mom about all the things that there are to look forward to. And he uses his imagination to, to build quite the stories of what he's excited to do with his mom the next day. And it, that one's based on that whole conversation that me and my son would have every night before bed. And some of the things we would say is we were going to go to the zoo and swing from the trees with the monkeys, or we were going to go to the ice cream shop and build an ice cream sundae as big as, as the building itself or just crazy little cute things that he came up with um, on what he wanted to do tomorrow with me. Hmm. 
Well, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to hear about your son, uh, your older son, right, Finnegan, his uh, his heart yeah. defect. Uh, it must have been quite the experience getting that diagnosis, and then you're on a whole journey now. Um, we'll talk about that, and uh, and we'll talk about, of course, The Fun Thieves, uh, her latest book. We're talking with author and illustrator Carly Valentine. We'll have more following this break. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, we're talking with Carly Valentine. She's an author and illustrator, lives in North Ogden. Uh, her latest book is The Fun Thieves. We'll get to talking about that uh, a little later here. Uh, she lives with her husband, two boys, Finnegan and Lachlan. Um, and uh, her books include Extra Special Heart, Cutest Pumpkin in the Patch, Turkey Trot, Christmas is a Feeling, Big Plans for Tomorrow, and a Bad Habit Rabbit, many more in the works. And uh, you can find the books, uh, I think you find the books at Amazon, right? Yes, you can find them on Amazon. Yeah. And you can find Carly Valentine at her website, carlyvalentine.com. And on Twitter, it's at Carly Valentine Author, I believe. Um, so um, we talked a bit about your early life and high school life, college. Um, let's skip ahead to, I guess, the birth of your, your son Finnegan, right? Uh, uh, when did you when did you suspect that something is not quite right? Well, he was my firstborn child. So as a new parent, you know, you're kind of just trying to figure out parenthood and navigate the whole journey. And I kind of had some inclinations pretty early on, but I, I kind of was chalking it up to thinking that maybe it was just normal parent jitters and it was just things that were going on that normal kids just face. And I didn't understand or realize it yet, but... I had some just gut instinct feelings as he got a little older. I just noticed things didn't seem quite right to me. And he had some issues where he would projectile vomit um, when he would nurse. He, he, he Instead of spinning up, it would be like just a ton of throw up and stuff. And as as that continued and things didn't really get remedied, probably around when he was 16 months old, he got sick. And sounded like he had the like croup. His his breathing and his cough just sounded extra barky and really just yucky and labored. And we took him to the doctor, and we couldn't really get him to recover from the croup from croup very easily. It took a lot of time, and this went on for months where he just sounded really bad. And finally, my pediatrician sent us down to Primary Children's, which is a local children's hospital, where he was given an esophagram and an esophagram they use like a barium liquid to watch the child child swallow and see how everything is going down and while they were doing that the radiologist noticed that something wasn't right and without officially telling us the diagnosis he speculated that my child had a heart defect called a vascular ring and that actually ended up being what was found out later with other CT angiograms and testing. And to describe that in layman's terms, his part of, part of his aorta was actually wrapped around his esophagus and his trachea mm. and pushing on them so that he wasn't able to swallow, eat, and breathe normally. So his heart defect is a little bit different than a lot of other kids with heart defects because his heart, his heart function is okay. 
it's more of the way that his heart is. It was a right aortic arch, so everything was reversed. And because of that, it put pressure on his esophagus and trachea, and it was more of a structural problem. So he had a, actually had a heart surgery here local, and on, he still continued to have some issues after that initial heart surgery. So while I was in college, I was sitting in class one day, and I had read a lot of medical journals so that I was hoping to be able to figure out a solution for him to help him more since the first surgery wasn't as effective as we had hoped. So I actually contacted a surgeon across the country that had written written most of the medical journals that I had read. And we ended up taking my son to Chicago, and he had his second heart surgery there. And since then, he has had vast improvements. He's done incredibly well. It has been a journey, so he still has some definitely some hiccups and difficulties that he's had to power through. But that second surgery was definitely a life-changing thing for him. And I was very happy to be able to provide him with that so that he could recover a lot better. You, um, I want to follow up with a few things. You've written in a, a another blog post here at CarlyValentine.com that um, you know you said, as many prospective mothers do, "Hey, as long as he's healthy, you know, I'll I'll be I'll be happy." Right? And he's born. He's yeah. not, and he's not healthy. What What was your reaction then? You know, it's it's a scary thing. It's very it's very terrifying as a parent to find out that your child isn't perfect as far as anatomy goes and that there is something wrong with them. And um, it's, it was, it was very frightening because you always just want the best for your child. You want them to be healthy and happy. And when they're not healthy, it's, it's very scary. It, it gives you a very, it, it makes you realize that everything is just not necessarily going to be perfect all the time. There, there are bad things that happen. You can go through medical struggles. You can go through mental health issues. There's lots of different things that can happen to kind of throw a kink in everything and make your whole world come, come, come tumbling down. So it was a very frightening experience, and it was very shocking. But I would also say deep down in my heart, I felt like I knew something was kind of going on with him. So I instinctively, I felt like I was aware that there was something coming, but I just kind of t- tried to talk myself out of those feelings and reassure myself that everything was okay until it wasn't anymore. And I had to kind of put on my big girl pants and become an advocate and figure things out for him. Of course, uh, quote unquote, you know, mother to a uh, child without uh, disability is going to be, you know, there's going to be stresses enough <laughs> to spare probably, yes. uh, but but extra stresses here and worries, right? You're pacing the hallways yes. during surgeries and, and such. Um, what would you say to, to about that and, and to, you know, parents of uh, other children who have disabilities? Well, I I remember, I, I, I so there was a moment, me and my husband, when we both took him, my son to his initial appointment where he was Um, diagnosed with this esophagram, we walked through the halls and saw all these little artwork drawings on the walls from all the kids that were inpatient. And even then I was kind of still in denial. I told, I remember saying to my husband, wow, look at all these children that are here. Like we're so blessed that our child isn't at that point and that he's still overall healthy and, and come to find out our whole world was about to tumble down. 
So we were just about to figure out that he had a medical issue and that we were going to be into this whole medical journey. I would just say the best piece of advice I could give to parents with kids with any kind of disability or or health problem would be to be their advocate, be their voice, help help them navigate these tough times, and also take care of yourself because when you do go through all this with your child, it it's easy for it to take a toll on your own mental health and your own well-being because you focus so much on your child and you're worried about them and you want to get them good care. And we need to remember that they are also watching how we take care of ourselves. So we need to be um, making sure to do what we need to do, whether it be step back for a little bit and let somebody take over so that they can help watch your child from time to time or just to get away and go do something for a day. It's, it's very important to have something that gives you some time away so you can work on your own mental health. I've, I've been super lucky to be involved in the heart community, the heart defect community. I am in a number of different groups that have given me wonderful support and, um, my book is actually a part of a community called the Heart Community Collection, and that's a website online where various people that have either children with heart defects or that are heart, are heart warriors themselves have written different books on, on this topic of heart defects. And so it's a wonderful resource for families. And I also recommend that if you are going through medical struggles or disabilities with your child to find a community that you can vent to, talk with. It's really good to figure out specialists that can help your child, and it's a great avenue to um, find those people that are local to you also. So I think lean on people around you and look for good support groups and take time for yourself and be a great advocate for your child and make sure that you get them the best care that you can. Those are my those are my biggest advice takeaways, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, it, you know, it occurs to me that, you know, what whatever might happen, in your case, a child with heart defects, um, there's usually a community out there. It's important to find that community, right? Yes, definitely. Um, you talked about research that you did. That's another factor here, right? Uh, it, being proactive, um, and not passive. Yes. Sounds like you did uh, quite a bit of research. Yes, I think it's very important. I think you definitely need to make sure that what you're reading online is a credi- credible source. You know, if you just Google stuff, it's not always going to be realistic and it's not going to be the best advice. But if you are actually finding medical journals and seeking out people that have written them and people and and finding credible sources, it can be a very, very powerful way to help your child because a heart defect or any other medical issue is very difficult to understand. Most of us have not, you know, gotten degrees in these types of medical difficulties. So whenever you have something like that come about, it's good to have that knowledge so that you can make good decisions for your child's care and ask ask good questions to the doctors or whoever's helping your child with um, the difficult things that they're going through so that you are knowledgeable and giving yourself enough knowledge to make good decisions for them. 
Tell me about uh, your book, Extra Special Heart. This is a, a story about a little boy with a congenital heart defect. Um, tell me what uh, about this book and the message. So this is pretty much my passion project because I wrote this book kind of as like a, a poem to my son. Um, I just wrote it basically to show him that even though his heart may have a physical imperfection, that there is so much beauty to be found in him, and he gives so much to the world. I wrote this all down, and then one day I just was thinking, you know what, after after I've written all this, why, why not share it with other heart warriors? Because all these children that we've come across and their amazing families are so unique, and they're very, very special kids. They're so resilient. And they have such great positive attitudes, even though they've gone through all these struggles and trials. And so I wrote the book to try to empower them and kind of like a self to be a self-confidence booster for them so that they can feel proud and that they know that they are special and they have so many different wonderful gifts that they can share with the world, even though their heart might not, might not be perfect. So that's, that's the story behind it. And it's, it's really been amazing to write and publish this because I have been able to meet all sorts of heart heart warriors and their families. And I've gotten really good positive feedback about the book. A lot of a lot of heart warriors have been able to share it with their class their classmates and read it in class so that they can kind of understand what they've gone through. And it's a good it's a good book to teach children about disabilities in general and just disability inclusion for kids to know that everybody's made different, but we all have different strengths. And that's what we should focus on is each other's strengths because we all bring different aspects and qualities to the table. So that is pretty much my story behind Mm. Extra Special Heart. Yeah, Extra Special Heart. And that's uh, out and available as well. Um, What if you'd tell tell me uh, the story we've, we've been hearing story from from your perspective, right? Uh, what if you could tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about this from uh, from Finnegan's uh, perspective, from your son's uh, perspective? That's, uh, you know, got to have a lot of frustrating aspects about this. He, he can't do or hasn't been able to do up until, uh, I guess, recently uh, what other kids were doing. What uh, How's this affected him? Well, one thing about my son is he is just, I mean, everybody that he meets him just talks about how unforgettable he is. He has the most unique and special little personality. He talks to everybody and anybody he can. He is extremely, extremely social. He loves to be around people and talk with them and laugh with them and share with them. And um, through his journey, it's been incredible to watch him because he, no matter what he goes through, he just powers through, and he is resilient, and and he tries his best to keep his positive attitude, even if he has to have a bunch of tests and a bunch of doctor's appointments and various therapy visits and all those different trials that he's gone through. He um, He's a very smart little boy. He knows that he's had a lot to go through and that he does have some differences from other kids, but it's also blessed him to see that he is special and he's he it's amazing how kids are so good so often at finding 
everything that they love about each other. They don't really see the differences that sometimes adults have grown up to see. They don't care for the most part um, about what, what, what each other looks like or if they have leg braces or if they can't breathe as good. And I think that's a really endearing thing about children. He, it's, he's just such a sweetheart. It's, Everybody that meets him, I feel like, is is just drawn to him. He has kind of a wonderful aura around him with his personality. But um, he has had some frustrating times, just like the rest of us. He's kind of, he just turned nine. He's, so he's, he's getting to be to that age where he is starting to realize that, you know, not everybody has gone through what I've gone through. Why? He has a younger sibling now that's been um, healthy for the most part for for his whole upbringing so far. And he's asked questions like, why doesn't my little brother have to go to speech therapy or feeding therapy or, you know, the various things that Finnegan is still doing to help um, provide himself with continued improvement. So he has had some frustrating times when he was at his worst medically and we had to keep him really safe. We were avoiding different places with where he could pick up germs and get sick because when he did get sick, if it turned into a respiratory illness, it was very, very scary. He just doesn't recover as easy as, as others might that don't have medical issues. And that was very difficult for him because he is such a social, loving kid. He loves to be around people. And he, as he's grown, everything has gotten better. And after his second surgery, that also helped with a lot of the improvements that he had. Um, but right when we started to kind of feel comfortable with his health and let him do a lot more things socially and not worry quite so much, we had COVID hit. And that kind of threw a whole kink into the work too, because he was finally able to go out into the world, be more social, do more things. And then we had to kind of scale back again and be super careful and not go as many places. And he was devastated when school was canceled for periods of time because he just missed everybody so much. And so that's kind of my, how I, how I got my, my new release, the fun thieves, what I, how I came up with that book is I wanted to, to show children that even though we have frustrations to go through, that are out of our control sometimes, when we take a step back and and look at them, we can realize that there could be some positive things to gain from what happened and that it's important to do that so that we can move forward in a positive mental state. Uh, let's take a break and then uh, uh, dive into that. Um, and, you know, a key word here is resilience, right? And how, how, do, how do we get, how do we become more resilient? How do we teach our kids that? Um, and maybe some lessons we can learn from our kids about that as well. Um, and that in part is what, uh, the fun thief is about. We'll talk about that, but just before we go to break, something interesting you wrote on one of your blog posts here, uh, talking about the experiences you've gone through with your, with your son Finnegan. Um, you said uh, something to the fact, I wouldn't change the experiences that we've gone through. Um, Why? You know, it's it's been a rough journey for sure at times, but it's it's kept my family together closer than we would have ever been without it. I feel like my son Finn is one of the strongest people I know, and he's only nine years old. 
he I know he can get through it just about any anything that comes his way because he is so brave, so strong, and so resilient. And I think that's part of what makes him Finn. So I wouldn't change anything because I think he is beautiful just the way that he is. Let's uh, go to a break. We're talking with author and illustrator Carly Valentine. She lives in uh, North uh, Ogden with her husband two boys, Finnegan and Lachlan. And her books include Extra Special Heart, Cutest Pumpkin in the Patch, Turkey Trot, Christmas is a Feeling, Big Plans for Tomorrow, Bad Hat Rabbit, many more in the works. And uh, following break, we'll uh, dive in, talk more in depth about the newest book, The Fun Thieves. More following this. You're listening to Access Utah. We reached our last segment with Carly Valentine, about nine minutes left in this conversation. She's an author and illustrator in uh, North Ogden and uh, various books, including Extra Special Heart, Cutest Pumpkin in the Patch, Big Plans for Tomorrow, others, and the latest is The Fun Thieves. We've been talking about her sons, and specifically her son Finnegan, who was born with a heart defect. Uh, A lot of things that the family has gone through, and uh, Finnegan, of course, uh, with that. Um, And so you were saying, uh, Carly Valentine, before the break, that uh, with Finn... Um, had to be extra special, stay away from germs. Uh, boy, I, I can't imagine COVID hits and uh, a, a lot of worries for you, for for him, for everybody. Yes, definitely. I mean, you just never know with something like a new type of illness like that, how it's going to, going to affect a child that has had medical difficulties. So it definitely was kind of scary. I felt like me and my husband were kind of finally... Get it coming to peace with our son being out more into the world, playing with friends, not being so stressed about germs and sanitizing and worrying about those types of things. And it just kind of brought back a lot of emotion as far as just keeping him safe. Um, and I mean, with anything, you always want to keep your children safe, but their mental health is important as well. And sometimes if you keep them in a bubble, it impacts their mental health. And that's kind of what has happened, I think, during different aspects with the fan- pandemic, even though he's positive and resilient, there's always frustrating situations and figuring out how to learn to navigate them and handle emotions and frustration and how to stay positive during all those things that we encountered with the pandemic, even as adults. And that's that's a huge part of it, too, is if you, um, if you as an adult aren't handling things well mentally, you're, it's easy to get stuck into like a negative mind frame and, and accidentally push that on your child without even knowing it just by feeling super frustrated and being very negative and irritated with the situation. So in helping him, a huge part of that is learning to help myself to be a better role model and parent and stay more positive and um, mirror what I want him to be more like as far as positive mental health. Uh, Yeah, that's that's important. uh, What we do, even what we feel, is is picked up very quickly by the kids, right? Um, How did this, uh, this whole book is about how uh, this affected uh, Finnegan's mental state, right? And and then your your attempts to to help him. How how did this, uh, this... had to hit him hard, I imagine. Yeah, I think I think it was really hard for him not to have class with with all his classmates and and the virtual the virtual learning 
it's just something that it it's just not the same for kids, especially for a child that had missed out on so many fun social interactions as he grew up. So it was it was hard for him to stay at home and not be around people. And he, if we went somewhere, like even now, if we go to the park and, and there's nobody playing there, he's like, oh, it's empty. Like he just is instantly bummed because we're not really there for the playground. We're there for interaction with other kids. He just loves that. So he just, that's, that was the hardest challenge for him is just, you know, when everything shut down and, and his school went virtual, it was, it was difficult for him not to be able to see his friends and classmates and teachers. So tell me a little bit more about the fun thieves. Uh, I've got this in front of me. So, uh, you know, the first part of the book is about loss, right? The wind took my ball. Um, the, uh, six stole my party, right? Son stole my, uh, snowman. Uh, you know, things, things that are taken away due to circumstances. What, what's, what's the message you're, you're trying to convey here? Well, I wanted to have a story that was simple enough that almost any kid could relate to it because there's always, there's always circumstances brought on by nature that are completely out of our control. Uh, I actually came up with this idea when I was taking my son to a baseball a baseball game and we were sitting in the car because we couldn't tell if it was going to get rained out or not. And then it started lightning. And I said, "Uh Oh buddy, it looks like you're not going to be able to play today. I'm sorry. There's lightning and that's dangerous. And so they're going to call the game off. And he was just so sad about it. And I totally understood because it is so frustrating to have something that you were excited about get ruined and not be able to have control over that. So yes, the beginning of my book, I just have various annoying situations that different elements on of nature bring about, like you said, you know, um, being sick or having your game canceled because it's bad weather or not being able to swim because it's dangerous with lightning. Um, those different, those different situations are, are situations that all of almost all of us have gone through at some point in our lives. So I start the book off by, by showcasing all those different frustrating natural situations as the fun thieves because they're the ones that are stealing our stuff are are fun and so we have to have somebody to blame here so in my book it's those it's the fun thieves they're stealing everything and then of course the message is we can turn this around we can we we have control over our attitude right Uh, so later in the book the wind helped carry my kite sick gave me gratitude um, how do we, uh, I mean, easy to say, hard to do, right? At least in my experience, how, how do we help our kids do this? Yes, definitely. Um, there's been a lot of studies that I found, well, actually not as much as there should have been. It's, there hasn't been very many studies, but I did happen to find some where it talked about indicators of positive mental health in children and related them to how parents, what, what the, just basically what parents reported in their child. And if their child had positive mental health, the things that they noted were that they showed affection, resilience, positivity, curiosity for kids ages three to five. So I think to be able to practice these things, it might not feel natural at first, but when we catch ourselves thinking in a negative way, instead of saying, I'm so, I mean, you can acknowledge that there's feelings. You don't need to put on rose colored glasses and pretend everything's 
just wonderful all the time because it's not. I think it's important for kids to be able to feel frustrated or to feel mad or to feel sad. But I feel like after you talk about those feelings a little bit, try to walk them through, okay, was there anything that good that came out of that? You know, um, even though rain made your game get canceled, is there anything good that happens when there's rain? Like one of the things I point out in the book is rain rain brings flowers. It's what helps flowers grow. And um, that even though the tree, your kite, the kite steals the tree because it gets stuck in it, the tree gives you lots of shade. And um, even though the wind takes your ball, it also helps carry your kite. So I think it's just a matter of practice. You know, you just have to kind of stop yourself from thinking negatively and try to catch yourself when you're doing it and try to just reframe yourself so that you can try to look for what's a positive thing that can come out of it. And it's kind of a fun thing because now in my house, since I've written this book, if there is something frustrating that happens, I'm like, oh, man, sounds like a fun thing, you know. So we just blame it on that. And then it kind of just opens a conversation of, do you think that there's possibly something good that came out of that? Or that, do you think that even though this frustrated you, that the thing that frustrated you actually does something good too? And so I think it's just starting to have these important conversations with our kids and in talking with them about all this, I think it's actually healing for us as adults too. And it makes us more accountable for our own thoughts and actions. Well, we've reached the uh, end of our time here. Uh, interesting uh, discussion, important, of course, uh, as well as we all go through these things. Uh, we've been talking with author and illustrator Carly Valentine. Uh, her new book is The Fun Thieves. That's out and available on Amazon. You can find out uh, more about her and about the other books uh, at carlyvalentine.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. And uh, we've got as we always do on Thursday with Leo T and Skywatcher. Skywatcher Leo T here as we look up, look around, and get a little bit lost in space. And it's a little bit easier right now, a little bit deeper looking with a much better focus on the universe. It all started with NASA working with other space agencies, launched the European Space Agency Ariane 5 rocket from French Guiana on Christmas Day 2021. The rocket executed a few mid-course correction maneuvers and after a few months found its orbit 930,000 miles out, almost a million miles out in space. It's a stable gravitational orbit known as Earth-Sun Lagrange Point 2. It's all very physical with lots of physics and cool ideas. Way beyond the moon now, this in itself is not a bad accomplishment, but the rocket was carrying a little space gadget known as the James Webb Space Telescope. And because of this stable orbit it's found itself in, the telescope slash spacecraft should have enough propellant to be up there at least 10 years, and I imagine they'll figure out a way to keep it going longer. And as most everyone knows by now, Project scientists calibrated and focused this extremely fine-tuned instrument, and it's revealed the clearest focus on deep space yet, with a big thanks to the Hubble, which is still operating and pulling in amazing pictures as well. But the new James Webb is even clearer, pulling down its first official science images and getting everybody excited, creating a very bright, bright sign of hope for scientists and the weary inhabitants of Earth as well. All that work is paying off, astronomers said, during an event held at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center on uh, July 12th in Maryland as they discussed the stunning new data, which includes crystal-clear images of distant nebulas and galaxies. A lot of people see pictures of space and it makes them feel small, says Eric Smith, chief scientist for the project. 
But he says, when I see these pictures, they make me feel powerful that a team of people can make this unbelievable instrument to find out things about the universe. He gestured to the new image of the Carina Nebula, which is a massive cloud of dust and gas located some 7,600 light years away from Earth. The image combines views from two instruments which paint the massive cloud of dust and gas where countless new stars are being formed in dramatic orange billows. You can check out the Skywatcher Leo T Facebook page for photos courtesy of NASA, ESA, and CSA of the Carina Nebula and other cosmic gems. Thanks NASA, European, and Canadian space agencies for a long-running gift to humanity. And maybe Earthlings looking up and out can go hand in hand with the brief flashes of radio frequency emissions we're receiving from outer space. Being picked up by our very large arrays on Earth under the night sky from distant reaches of galaxy, we've been reporting that to you. Maybe the new James Webb telescope can zero in on the origins of some of these radio signals. And in a little Earth-based space exploration, July is Scorpius season. Yeah, maybe you know the cat's eyes in the scorpion's tail, but how about the little cat's eyes in the scorpion's body? Very sublime in binoculars to scan to the southeast above the horizon. Twisty Scorpio shines in the southeast about an hour after dark these evenings. Its brightest stars, Orange Antares, and once you find these, you can find the other white stars of Scorpius's upper part around Antares and to its upper right. The rest of Scorpius runs down and to the left, just keep looking. If you can make out the curve of the body, look at its lowest point, which has two fairly bright stars. Those are the cat's eyes. Using the binoculars, look slowly to the right, and you'll see another mysterious, smaller, closer-together double star. The little cat's eyes makes you feel a long ways away, as well as right here. And if you're out of town somewhere in the cooling of the water or healing mountains, you can look into the sky with binoculars and find the clouds and clusters between Scorpius and and Sagittarius the teapot, which is toward the center of the Milky Way galaxy. You can be your own James Webb. On Skywatcher Leo T, it's many cultures, one sky. In the Four Corners region, the Navajo or Dine plant dry farms in Seagate Canyon in Arizona. This canyon of Navajo and Wingate sandstone is beautiful, but it's naturally very dry as rain is a rare commodity anywhere in the Navajo Nation. There are some marshes and a stream called Laguna that help. However, the Navajo rely on minimal rainfall plant at the mouth of the canyon to capture snow and rain runoff. The Dine, like the Hopis, have adapted their ancient farming methods to take advantage of every drop of valuable moisture. The time to plant is critical. To determine the correct time, the Navajo look to the night skies for guidance, and when the Pleiades, or seven sisters, set in the sky, it's time to plant as spring arrives with warmer weather. That's from Native Roads by Fran Cossack. Also from the Dine, Nohukasbakalk. The North Star is the central fire in the family home. This fire represents the strong bonds of the family unity and the other patterns rotate around the central fire of the North Star. So enjoy the stars, look up, look around, get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. With translator stations statewide, you're listening to UPR.